Hello and welcome to Podiatrics Medical Podcasts. Today's podcast is in the next in our metabolic series, which is all about three main things that we're going to cover in a series of podcasts, which are problems with um, carbohydrate metabolism, fat metabolism and protein metabolism. And there will be a session on some of the other miscellaneous conditions. Today, we're going to go one step further um, and talk more about protein metabolism. So we've talked about organic acidemias, things like methylmalonic acidemia and propionic acidemia. And we then went on to talk about what is, I think, a very, very interesting topic, which are problems with amino acid metabolism. And then we're going to finish our disorders of protein metabolism with urea cycle disorders. So the giveaway in exam questions when you were looking at a urea cycle defect is a very high plasma ammonia, respiratory alkalosis with no features of an acidosis. So this is very much ammonia, which has been proven for decades, is a stimulant on the respiratory system. So will lead you to have a respiratory alkalosis will tend to force your respiratory rate upwards and stimulate ventilation. So respiratory alkalosis, very high ammonia level, suspect urea cycle defect. So we have different um, units of measurement of ammonia. Some people measure it in in micrograms per deciliter and other things. Some people measure, you know, in in America, it does tend to be more milligram per deciliter. Whatever your reference range is, if you did an ammonia on someone, why might it be high? Well, we know that there's lots of different causes. So you need to think urea cycle defects if it's very high. Remember, in our, in our organic acidemias um, can be normal or high. Um, very high, certainly think urea cycle defect. In adults, you can have it as a result of uh, gastrointestinal bleeding. You can have it in congestive heart failure. You can have it in leukemia, liver failure and and lots of other things. So it's certainly not the only thing that can happen. But certainly in a newborn, uh, a raised ammonia be very suspicious for uh, an inborn error of metabolism, specifically a cycle defect. So remember what we've covered so far. If you had a normal slash high ammonia level, but not very high, and a high anion gap metabolic acidosis, so a raised anion gap metabolic acidosis, you would think organic acidemia. What was covered last time, normal ammonia, normal anion gap, you would think potentially is this a disorder of amino acid metabolism or galactosemia. Very high ammonia level, very, very high ammonia level, with a normal anion gap and a respiratory alkalosis, you'd be thinking what we're talking about today, urea cycle defect. So very high ammonia and respiratory alkalosis. What's the normal physiology of ammonia? So ammonia is produced in the colon and in the small intestine. It's transported to the liver and then is converted to urea in the urea cycle. Urea is water soluble, so therefore can be excreted by the kidneys. So hence why... um, a high ammonia level or a high urea level tells you about where the potential problem is and why that we measure urea 
as a live as a kidney function test. So, why would your ammonia go up? So, if your liver is unable to metabolize ammonia, that can be an enzyme defect or that can be hepatocellular damage. Um, you will you can potentially get high ammonia. So, ninety percent of adults have of ninety percent of adults with high ammonia have got it secondary to cirrhosis. So, it's often a blood test that you'll probably find 90% of the time um, in adult medicine, it is done in the context of hepatic encephalopathy. Um, someone with a background of uh, liver disease who has um, come in with confusion and reduced Glasgow coma score, uh, less responsive than normal, potentially um, doing an ammonia to see if it's hepatic encephalopathy. Second thing is if you have a shunt, so a portal to systemic shunt, when the blood is bypassing the liver, then the liver's the site where you're going to have this urea cycle. So if that isn't happening, um, then you've obviously got problems um, and the blood is bypassing the liver, so therefore the ammonia isn't being converted to urea. Increased production due to infection. So um, said that a lot of ammonia is produced in the colon, the small intestine. Your faecal biome um, and faecal microbiota are very important. Um, things like Clostridium difficile and the Clostridia um, species are very notorious for being ammonia producing. Remember, ammonia is a neurotoxin and explains a lot of the symptoms patients get with a high ammonia. So congenital causes of high ammonia, there are two that I want to touch upon. Urea cycle defects is the focus of today's podcast and organic acidemias is something that we talked about before and dedicated a whole podcast to. So before we move on and talk about urea cycle defects, I just want to recap um, organic acidemias. So we said these are your, your propionic acidemias, your methylmalonic um, acidemia, and your isovaleric acidemias. So all of these kind of substrates um, in the organic acidemias inhibit an enzyme called NAGS. Don't worry about what it stands for. This reduces um, production of something called carbamoyl phosphate. Carbamoyl phosphate is really important because it enters the urea cycle. So it enters the urea cycle. Carbamoyl phosphate is very important because you get ammonia and bicarbonate that react together and form carbamoyl phosphate. So if you have accumulation of these substrates and you reduce your carbamoyl phosphate, that leads to you having excess ammonia. And the way that the ammonia will enter the urea cycle is through carbamoyl phosphate. So you have less carbamoyl phosphate being produced, more ammonia left in its state, ready to react with bicarbonate to form carbamoyl phosphate. So that explains why your ammonia goes up. This, believe me, this is an indirect hyperammonemia. This is not a problem with the urea cycle. I'm explaining organic acidemias. Organic acidemias are an indirect thing. This is before the urea cycle, but remember carbon phosphate enters the urea cycle and therefore this cycle happens and urea gets spat out the other end. So that's one of the mechanisms Okay, so again, to clarify that, ammonia 
plus bicarbonate forms carbon monophosphate. Carbon monophosphate enters the urea cycle and therefore you get urea at the other end. If you have lots of these substrates because of incomplete um, organic acid breakdown, you get the accumulation of propionic acid, methylmalonic acid and isovaleric acid and their corresponding CoAs. That inhibits an enzyme called NAGS that reduces the production of carbon morphosphate. Carbon morphosphate is the when ammonia and bicarbonate react together. If that can't happen, you get excess ammonia that can't enter the urea cycle. The second thing that happens is that um, things like methylmalonic acid um, basically need to react to form something called succinyl-CoA that is involved in the Krebs cycle, sometimes referred as the TCA cycle, but I prefer the term Krebs cycle. Um, if you haven't got enough methylmalonic acid, or this problem with methylmalonic acidemia, for example, or propionic acidemia, you can't form uh, succinyl-CoA to enter the Krebs cycle. So what you do instead is you cleave glutamine and when you cleave and when you cleave glutamine to allow this bit of the pathway to happen, bypassing succinyl-CoA, you form ammonia and glutamate. So that's a secondary form of... Um, so the two main ways that the ammonium goes up in organic acidemias is not because of the urea cycle defect. It's due to succinyl-CoA um, and that being an important intermediate, and you happen to cleave glutamine to form ammonia and glutamate, you form ammonia as a byproduct. And the other way is ammonia and bicarbonate react to form carbon morphosphate. That requires an enzyme called NAGS. Because of the problems of the organic acidemias, uh, the accumulation of isovaleric CoA, propionic uh, acid CoA, methylmalonic CoA, you inhibit that enzyme. Therefore, that conversion from ammonia and bicarbonate to carbon morphosphate doesn't happen. It stays as ammonia. It doesn't enter the urea cycle and it doesn't get converted from ammonia to urea. Urea cycle disorders now, which is what we've all been waiting for, the interesting bit. So if we had, we go back to our case. So poorly feeding infant. Remember, with these urea cycle disorders, they can either happen at birth or... They can happen when the baby goes home, two to three days later, comes back in. Poor feeding, vomiting and lethargy. Very high ammonia level, respiratory alkalosis. The next step then is to look at the plasma amino acids, much better than the urinary amino acids. The urea cycle disorders, are, are, the main one that you need to men talk about and the most common one is the one that we're actually going to come to last. They all are named similar to the organic acidemias by whatever amino acid is elevated in the serum. So if citrulline is elevated, it's called citrullinemia. If arginino-succinic acid is elevated, then you've got arginino-succinic aciduria. If arginine is elevated, then you get arginineemia. There is a final um, condition before we talk about the big one, which is when... Um, you have carbamyl phosphate synthetase deficiency, okay? Carbamyl phosphatase um, deficiency is quite interesting.
because this will elevate your glutamine and your arginine, okay? The reason that your glutamine and your arginine um, both will tend to become raised in this is because this is um, a very proximal defect. So if you get elevated glutamine in the urea cycle disorder, you think this is more of a proximal disorder than a distal disorder because glutamine um, um, is involved quite quite early on um, in the pathway from the conversion from ammonia. So how do I remember it? Well, carbamoyl, phosphatase, synthetase deficiency. So I'm in Crown Prosecution Service. Don't know much about the legal system in the UK, but I think the Crown Prosecution Service is uh, uh, judges and other people involved in convicting people. So I remember CPS, okay? And I've got this very strange image, but it's stayed with me very well. A judge who steps up in court and um, basically has forgotten to put his trousers on. So he's just there in his pants in front of a courtroom. And I remember Alan's glutes, CPS. So CPS, Crown Prosecution Service, Judges, etc. Stands for the enzyme, carbamoyl phosphate, phosphate synthetase. CPS, Alan's glutes refer to alanine and glutamine. So alanine and glutamine are the two organic, uh, are the two amino acids that are elevated in carbamoyl phosphatase synthesis. Carbamoyl phosphate synthetase deficiency. I call it CPS and you can probably find out um, why by listening to this podcast. You would also do a urine orotic acid and don't worry about the name. It's O-R-O-T-I-C. The importance of remembering, you only have to remember that the acid begins with an O because if it's elevated, that is OTC deficiency. So citrullinemia, arginino-succinic acid, arginine, um, and um, carbamoyl phosphate synthetase deficiency, and then we've got OTC deficiency. So high urine erotic acid is the giveaway in SBA questions. High urine erotic acid is OTC deficiency, ornithine, transcarbamylase deficiency, very high ammonia. It's X-linked disorder that sets it apart from the other ones. It's the most common urea cycle defect, very high level of ammonia, okay? It can present in childhood and otherwise healthy individuals. Heavy or rapid breathing because of the respiratory alkalosis, lethargy, vomiting, seizures, can get strange posturing, so that's your decorticating, your decerebrate posturing. Coma, okay. Um, females, and it has been reported in case reports, may present, okay, um, in women, severe migraine after excessive protein intake. Things like a steak dinner or something like that. Very heavy protein load um, can present in, in patients in childhood. Okay, so diagnosis, plasma ammonia levels really high, low urea level because the urea cycle converts ammonia to urea, urea cycle not working, high ammonia, low urea, normal anion gap and respiratory alkalosis, normal liver and kidney function unless there's something else going on. Your ornithine levels will tend to be high, okay, um, because that's where o OTC enzyme works, so ornithine, 
um, trans carbamylase. Glutamine and alanine levels will also tend to be high, but citrulline levels will um, be relatively low, okay? And ornithine um, transcarbamylase converts ornithine to citrulline, basically, ornithine to citrulline. So that basically explains why your citrulline levels are low, because this enzyme converts ornithine to citrulline. And then the other things will all tend to be high. So low citrulline levels, you're looking at either a carbamyl phosphatase deficiency, looking at an OTC potentially um, in that case as well. So you're looking at quite a proximal uh, urea cycle defect, as we mentioned earlier on. Elevated urinary erotic level, uh, urinary erotic acid level in OTC deficiency, which is the giveaway in questions, and they'll have DNA testing. Temporarily discontinue protein intake because it's the protein load that's the problem. Um, increase in lipids and carbohydrates as an alternative form of energy. If patients had really high ammonia levels, rapid reduction can be with hemodialysis to remove that excess ammonia. You can use lots of things like, for example, you can give them arginine, um, which can be helpful. Um, remember that, you know, arginine is important in, in these steps as well. And arginine is kind of the last amino acid in our, um, in our urea cycle as well. So if you give patients arginine, you can shunt more of that ammonia into urea. It's the terminal amino acid in the urea cycle. So that's important. Sodium benzoate to help with seizures and other things. Um, and sodium phenyl acetate as well. So it all kind of goes together quite nicely. So what have we talked about today? What have we kind of discussed today? So what I would like to do is just go back to the beginning and we're just going to talk about the conditions we've talked about. So we've talked about OTC deficiency, citrullinemia, arginineemia, arginino-succinic acid urea, and carbamyl phosphate synthetase deficiency or CPS deficiency. Okay, these are all important conditions for exams, and specifically if you're someone who's trying to make sense of um, metabolic medicine and physiology, I would definitely recommend that you certainly think about these conditions. Um, think really closely about the physiology, because if you understand the physiology, everything else becomes rather um, straightforward. So those are kind of the main things that I wanted to cover today. So I've got a few questions and then we'll finish. So if you had got a newborn with a high ammonia level, normal anion gap and respiratory alkalosis, what metabolic disorder category do you reckon we'd have? Very good. So today, everything we've talked about today, urea cycle disorders or urea cycle defects. So if you had a newborn with poor feeding, vomiting, really high ammonia levels and respiratory alkalosis, and they've got elevated citrulline levels, what do you reckon the diagnosis is? Fantastic. So that would be your citrullinemia, which is a type of urea cycle disorder. If we had an ammonia, really high, low urea, 
with respiratory alkalosis, no ketones and high levels of erotic acid, what do we think might be going on? Good, so the last condition we talked about, OTC deficiency, OTC deficiency. Um, and everything would tend to go up, um, apart from which thing? Which thing would tend not to go up? Good, so your citrulline levels would tend to be low. So that's what we talked about today. We talked about OTC deficiency, citrullinemia, that were the two questions we did at the end. Arginemia, arginosuccinic aciduria, and carbon phosphate synthetase deficiency. Maybe by the next time we talk about metabolic disorders, I'll be able to pronounce it properly. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, more podcasts tomorrow. Thank you very much. Yay!